Welcome to the Marketing AI SparkCast, the go-to podcast where we explore the exciting intersection of artificial intelligence and marketing. Our aim is to spark your curiosity and inspire you to infuse your marketing with AI. Join Abby Varma, a B2B marketing leader, as he navigates you through this dynamic and ever-evolving landscape where technology meets creativity. Hello, everybody. In today's episode, we're going to focus on marketing teams and how they can really get started. A lot of our discussions thus far has been on all kinds of use cases uh, of AI within, you know, within marketing functions. Um, but today we're going to go back to basics. We're going to talk about um, practical steps to introduce AI within your marketing teams. And most importantly, why is it crucial for staying you know, competitive? So let's dive in and discover how you can begin your AI journey today. And we have a fantastic guest for you guys today. So today's guest is Daniel. Engel Bretson. Uh, Daniel is an AI entrepreneur. He's the CEO of the newly formed company called Elanox. It's a firm that helps businesses and academia uh, with delegating complex and routine tasks to AI, uh, to AI engines. And uh, Daniel is also an adjunct professor and teaches AI-related topics at Wake Forest University and the Elon University. And we will be getting into some of that stuff in this episode. So Daniel, welcome to the show. Absolutely. I'm really excited to be here. As you probably already know, I'm pretty passionate about this topic. So I, I'm really appreciative to have the opportunity to jump in with you and I'm pumped to get this conversation started. Awesome. No, thank you very much for making time. So let's just dig in and um, let's start with your new venture, Ellenox, and tell us a little bit about that on, on what you're doing and you know what what um, lessons you've learned. I know it's still early days, but we'd love to get a little bit of context to how you're helping people and what you learned thus far. Absolutely. Uh, you know, as you kind of introduced me as an entrepreneur, I think that's the right way to put it. Uh, you know, at the risk of sounding cheesy, uh, I've, I've, I love to start businesses. And so uh, Elonix is the one I started recently, but uh, my background is really in, I came up through marketing. I got my undergraduate in marketing and economics, and I got my master's and MBA with a focus on analytics. You know, so you can kind of see economics, analytics, you know, I always had kind of that interest in the, the optimization side of kind of the study. And, uh, and that's, you know, even back in high school, taking Java and, you know, started, I started out as a computer science major and kind of got into some of the machine learning in grad school. So always had kind of a technical interest. My first couple of jobs were very technical, but I found my way into demand generation. And I guess what we'll all often refer to today is go to market. And uh, so through all of that work that I've done over the last uh, several years, most notably building and scaling a, an ABM agency for about four years or so uh, that I left last year, I learned a lot about the pros and the cons of digital transformation, change management, you know, the whole, the whole story about sales and marketing getting long and whatnot, uh, a lot about testing and optimization. And, and I learned that you're not you, you're not always optimizing for what you think you're optimizing for in, in the dynamic, and so along comes generative AI, and you know I also learned through marketing that it really matters why you're engaging with someone and what you're saying and and why you're saying that and the empathy that you have for that person, 
So you blend all that together, and that's how I arrived where I am today. I, I truly do care about the relationships that we build as humans and that dynamic and like the helping each other out for the good of just helping each other out. So what does that mean in the world of AI and Elonics? You know, that, that's where I really got started. I wanted to uh, put my name on something that was about helping people help people in this new wave of, of technology that is generative AI and, and kind of the boon that has been on the back of AI in the last couple of years. Very cool. Very cool. So, I mean, you and me, you and me have had several discussions and uh, I've seen this even in your LinkedIn profile where you, you have this mantra, which you use and, you know, you say, let's democratize AI one dream at a time. So it, it, so it was, it was, when I read it, I, it, it made me pause and think about it. And I would love to, for you to sort of uh, get into it and unpack what that means and how you are working towards it. Absolutely. You know, uh, for the, uh, the people who like the technical side of this conversation, I'm really thinking about natural language processing or NLP and the, the leveling effect that NLP or natural language processing brings to the table for people. And then the power that is, is the generative AI and all these tools that have been coming out that, and, and what that kind of means. But for the less technical side of that equation, it's like, well, what even is a dream? And we all have got dreams, right? We all have things that we want to achieve in our lives. And how often do you run into yourself or someone else who, who says, if, if I just had something, if I just had more time, if I just had the right tools, if I had the right mentor, if I had access to the right opportunity, there's all this if I just had. And what really hit me kind of as I was thinking through this over the last year or so, generative AI and NLP solves for a lot of that if I just had. But it's not, it's not readily obvious or apparent, particularly if you're not technical. So the whole mantra of let's democratize AI one dream at a time is, hey, how can we as like people who are thinking about this and doing this in our day-to-day -day lives, how can we make it accessible to just normal everyday people who, who don't eat, sleep, breathe, technical optimization, you know, so that they can do more and just get more out of life and get closer to those dreams that they have. So that that's really where that comes from. Very nice. And obviously you're putting it into practice at the schools you are, you are teaching. So maybe tell us a little bit about that on, on, you know, what you were seeing, you were obviously interacting with students and, you know, how people are processing AI and thinking about AI. Um, so would love to learn a little bit more about, you know, who you're teaching, how you approach it, and how this sort of mantra comes to life. Well, yes, I, I teach classes at the undergraduate level right now. And that was a, a very fortuitous happening. Uh, it kind of uh, I was in the right place in the right time with the right vantage point and uh, wanted to kind of do do something like you see to say, but what about do, you know, and I thought, hey, why not take the time out and go do this? And that's kind of how that materialized. But taking a step back from that, like what what drove me there in the first place really was actually my kids who are seven and nine and at the time they were uh, six and eight and realizing as I as I was learning about generative AI and AI and how it applied in my life and my professional world that my kids are coming up in a world where like what it means to be productive, what it means to be valuable is changing. And the education system, you know, for all of the things that it does very well, nobody's going to tell you it moves quickly, you know, and there's a lot of good reason for that, right? You know, you don't want to jump to new things. 
But the speed, as we all know, the speed of AI adoption and JDI capabilities is just like, like lightning speed, right? And so I saw this as, man, how, how can we start, like, how can I do something to help catch this up, you know, both for my kids, but then also for people. So one analogy to draw here is how many times, because I know this, we're talking a lot to marketers in this podcast and, and kind of GTM leaders. And, you know, how many times have you heard, oh, I want to be AI first or gen AI first or, you know, something like that. And, you know, let's, let's apply that to learning. Like there's a difference between being AI first and how you apply and learn versus kind of bolting on the AI to the back end of that. And so I really wanted to take the challenge of what would that even mean? Like, how would you even design learning objectives and curricula and, and an entire course around AI first, you know, and for the same reasons why you do that in business, you know, bolting on versus baking it in, so to speak. So that's a long winded way of teeing it up. But what I wanted to do was design a course that took advantage of generative AI and NLP and how it actually runs and how it, and how and what the students are actually doing where when you get done, you understand the way of thinking. Like, how do I change the way I'm thinking? How do I process information in the world of Gen AI, you know, versus how do I just use Gen AI to do a thing that already exists, that's already done a certain way, and I'm just gonna use AI to do it, you know? So it's like thinking about it differently. So that's where it really started for me was how, where, is it, where do you even begin that, AI first in education conversation. So that that's really where I got started with with the whole path, if you will. Very cool. I'm a big fan of the doing part. So absolutely, I, I hear you loud and clear. So obviously, I feel your students are lucky to have that guidance and and that support from you in terms of sort of shining a light on you know um, this technology, where they can learn, how they can grow. Uh, but let's pivot and talk about the marketing audience a little bit. You know, marketers, this is all very new. And yes, it's sort of moving at breakneck speed, but um, in its early days, I often joke about it that, you know, AI years are like dog years, like one yeah. AI year is like seven normal marketing years. But but yeah. from an AI knowledge standpoint, it's sort of getting to a point where it is just becoming indispensable for marketing teams today. But what is your thoughts around that topic do you do you feel that you know uh, you know fast forward a couple of years it's, it's already started happening now where you know ai knowledge is sort of going to be a mandatory uh, expectation of all, all marketing professionals yeah well knowledge workers in general right the world trade organization organization came out a couple of months back and said 40 percent of the world's workforce is going to have to be upskilled to handle this right but knowledge workers in particularly and specifically marketing being one of those categories is one of the big ones, right? And fortunately slash unfortunately for marketers, particularly if you've been at this for a few years, uh, digital transformation and tech adoption is not new, right? The name of the game in, in marketing for the last 10, 15 years has very much been the tech and the application of the tech and the speed and the efficiency that, that brings you, you know, alongside your fundamentals. So one reason why marketers are in a really good place or this is because marketers are used to the digital transformation. And the other piece is they're used to the change management and those conversations that have to happen internally. Good marketers have been tackling this for a long time. They've been having the tough conversations across the org. They've been negotiating with their IT partners to get the website redone. They've been figuring out like, how do I get my objectives aligned with sales? You know, So 
So the people skills piece of it internally is as much of the battle as we all know from marketing as it is like, what is this thing and how am I going to get value out of it, right? And the, and the measuring and the kind of impact. Uh, and alongside that also is like, how long has marketing struggled from like ambiguity in the impact and ambiguity in the attribution, right? Like we're, we're, we're ready for that conversation. So in some ways, I want to start this with, if you're in marketing and you're trying to tackle this, you already have a leg up because you've been dealing with this probably your whole marketing career in one shape or form. But, you know, so then I would to draw, continue to draw the parallels because it's easy to do here. Just like in any technology that you're going to adopt, you shouldn't go buy the tech or adopt the tech just because, right? Like, you know, what's, the, what's the saying? It's always strategy, tactics, technology. Or at least that's what I always say, right? What's the strategy first? What are you trying to achieve? What, how, do you, how are you going to go do that and then get the tech that fits, right? So the, the first way to answer this question and the first is, is, is to do the same thing you've been doing. What's the strategy? Why is that the strategy? What's the tactics you're going to deploy it and then do the tech? So that's where the conversation begins. And in this case, the tech is, you know, fairly broad in its application in terms of all the things that you can do. So that's kind of one piece of that. But uh, before I keep going with that, let me, let me pause there and see if you have any reaction to that or anything you want me to dig into. No, I, I think that's really well said because to me, I think the it, it's almost like you said, you know, the, the, the strategy, the use cases and their technology and that sort of sequence. But I think we're almost getting to a point where, um, you know, marketers need to actually have a little bit of knowledge from an AI standpoint, right? Like in terms of really understanding and not the not the deep technical understanding of how these LLMs work and those sort of things, but more uh, enough knowledge about AI in terms of what capability it may lend itself to, you know, uh, going back to one of the original thoughts that, you know, if only I had, you know, dot, dot, dot. Um, so, you know, combining that AI knowledge with that, you know, in order to complete that sentence, if you will. So that to me, yeah, a very, you know, essential part of the equation that, you know, for a lot of, I speak to, you know, hundreds of marketers and, and a lot of them, um, you know, obviously are immersed and well-versed with AI, but then there's a lot that don't even know where to, where to start, which is sort of a good segue into my next question. So in the AI journey, there's sort of two um, buckets of people or two groups of people, but marketers that I've come across. So you know, one group is, um, you know, marketers where they're familiar with AI and they're using chat GPT and, you know, Bard now Gemini or what have you, one of those sites for ideation and first drafts. And, you know, it's, it, and even within that group, there's sort of various shades of people or shades where chat GPT is open as a, and the browser window tab, and it's always there, and it's all the people are always using it, and the other people are just sort of just starting the journey there. That's one bucket of people who are sort of AI, um, you know, AI knowledgeable and understand are sort of following the updates. But then, you know, there's there's other the other bucket is where you know those marketing teams are very traditional. They all have day jobs. They've heard about AI. They may have poked around with ChatGPT one or two times, but haven't really um, done anything more significant than that. So for both of those groups, what is, I would love your take using your knowledge, especially, you know, you're, you're in the business of, you know, part of you is in the business of educating people. Using that knowledge, 
how would you guide both those groups of people? The, the, the first group where they are ChatGPT savvy and are already sort of using it for ideation and first drafts, what mm -hmm. can they do to move along in the journey? And then in the second group where they haven't really done anything, where do they get started? How do they begin immersing themselves to take that very first step within their AI journey? Absolutely. So I have a couple of uh, sayings, I guess I'll throw out there to kind of, to kind of anchor the conversation. Uh -huh. uh, the first is with all things AI, anything you're doing, it really matters what's the outcome you're trying to achieve, right? What are you optimizing for? And, uh, and so my take on this is that there is the table stakes bare minimum, and then there's the dream state outcome. And, uh, and so the optimization, the equation of anything you're going to try to apply AI to is the, the bare minimum kind of assumed is that you're going to get more efficient. But the dream state outcome is that you are going to maximize the credibility or the trust that you're building with your target audience, you know, as individuals. So if you think about, okay, how can I apply generative AI to, to basically lean out anything that's a drag on customer experience and, and, and add to that, I guess, life cycle, if you will, anything that's a boon for that customer experience, that's where you can start to look for impact points along the customer life cycle for where, where, where do I have gaps in the speed or the efficacy or the, the um, efficiency of those to start looking for it. So setting that aside for a moment, the second framework I would give you is if you're trying to apply generative AI to something you're doing, there are three things you should get out of it. It should be faster, it should cost you less money, and it should be higher quality. And if you're not doing all three, you're not applying it the best way that you could. And a lot of people fall down because they look at it as, how can I just go faster? Or how can I make it cheaper? That's the biggest failure in my opinion. You know, and often they're not thinking about how can I make it higher quality? And this comes back to like, what is quality? And, and I don't, my opinion is, you're not trying to eliminate the human from the equation. You're trying to give the human uh, uh, infinitely capable collaborator to kind of dump work on so that you can spend your time on where you add the most value, right? So, so faster, cheaper, better. So if you can, if you know what you're optimizing for, and I would argue you're optimizing for anything that's going to drive a better customer experience, and you are holding yourself accountable to those three things, that is a good way to kind of roadmap just at a high level how to do this. The last thing I will throw at you is, particularly if you haven't started, is it's not always it's not always the what I tell people, particularly my students, is you have to start with something you know really well, and that might not be it might not make sense in a professional context. It might make more sense in a personal context. So there might be a personal thing that you could do that, that you know really well versus a professional thing. So what does know really well mean? It means that if you were to sit down and say to somebody, I know a lot about this, and they said, I know a lot about that too, you'd be able to tell if they actually knew a lot about that or not <laughs> based on what they're saying to you. That's kind of a rule of thumb. And so in that context, and this is kind of last point I'll make on it, the challenge I would say is, Put 100 minutes in to something and see if you can't get 100 minutes back and and try that uh, until you get it. And then once you get it, move. Uh, my, my original challenge was I want to save 100 minutes a month by using generative AI. And then I moved to 100 minutes a week and then I moved to 100 minutes a day. And I started with stuff that was like simple stuff like crunching calls and pulling out you know actions and stuff like that, which now there's tools to help you do that. 
but whatever that might be. So those are a couple of ideas that I would throw at you of like, how do I start getting my head around, you know, getting down this path? Very cool in, in a very practical approach, uh, a very simple and practical approach. Because to me, I think the, the you know, cheaper, faster, better is, is you know, um, has stood the test of time. So in that regard, I think you can really apply that. So I think, you know, words of wisdom, thank you for that. So Daniel, maybe what would be useful uh, for all the marketing folks who are listening in is uh, if you could if you could provide them some resources on where they could educate themselves uh, as it pertains to AI in the context of marketing, of course. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think even in an earlier conversation, you you mentioned the Marketing AI Institute. Uh, that that's a popular one. There's a lot of different like publications or newsletters that will track it. Uh, there's like a, a an ethics newsletter I follow out of Montreal, for example, to kind of follow some of that. Honestly, I found that uh, select, I guess, thought leaders uh, are a great place, like kind of curating a set of thought leaders that you want to follow is a great place to start because the speed at which this is changing, and I'll give you some specifics, but the speed at which this changing is so fast that if you're, if you're following individuals who are passionate about it, they're kind of sharing as they're learning. And so a great example of this is Ethan Mollick uh, at, at Wharton. You know, he, he's, he's just a one example. There's another guy named Tim Sanders at, um, at uh, uh, Upwork that's, that's just, just really great stuff. And once you start kind of popping in and seeing some of, some of these, uh, you, you can get a sense for what I mean. They kind of have their own flavors on it. But often what you'll find is the actual research, right? And so like there's a great resource on uh, GitHub called the OpenAI Cookbook, OpenAI Cookbook. And, uh, you know, so that's on GitHub, but you can get to it through ChatGPT as well, where they kind of aggregate papers and channels and YouTube stuff and things like that into one spot. And that's how I got into it. But even like, this is, this is kind of out of left field, even like academic papers that get published out of like University of Tokyo on chain of thought prompting, stuff like that. So I would say that my favorite kind of consolidated place is the cookbook on uh, GitHub because they, it's so well curated. It's kind of like a Wikipedia of this type of thing. Uh, and then and then it just depends on how technical you want to get or what area you want to get into, like Alan Ning's um, op, uh, Deep Learning. I think it's a course, like a one-hour course for GPT developers or whatever. Like that's a great one for prompt engineering. So it's all kind of uh, aggregated in places like that. But I would say... As, as with all things, there's a thousand directions you could take it, and it kind of depends on where your interests are. Are you thinking about the ethics? Are you thinking about the actual prompt engineering? Are you thinking about the strategic application? Are you thinking about like I want to go build a GPT, you know, and, and how that might go? But that's that's some of what uh, I personally found, you know, versus some of the courses that are out there that I've witnessed. And I won't name names. They are more approaching it like a bolt-on. And um, there's nothing wrong with a bolt-on. I'm not faulting that. I'm just encouraging you to start with a, what does this mean to me? Like, why does this matter to me? And then go look at the bolt-ons because then you have more agency in the, does this bother me? Is this ethical to me? Is this how I would approach this? And before you go down the path of, you know, somebody else's notion of like the right way to do this. Yeah. No, I think, I think I, I couldn't agree more with you. There is so many, if you start, you know, sort of tuning into individual resources, believe it or not, there's like thousands of resources out there. So I love the idea of following um, really 
you know, um, subject matter experts who've curated or resources where all that stuff is curated and then presented. So you can, you can, they can do the legwork for you in terms of picking the things that, uh, that should really matter to, to, you know, what you're passionate about or what, what aspect of marketing you want to pursue. So thank you for that. Um, uh, great. And then let's, uh, talk a little bit. I mean, you've mentioned, uh, ethics uh, a few times. So, um, one topic I often get into, especially for marketing people where I feel, you know, the, the ethics or the, you know, the ethical aspect of it, there's a privacy uh, aspect of it. There is sort of content ownership slash copyright aspect to it, uh, both in terms of the written word and in terms of kind of the, the visuals of it. And there's all kinds of litigation that is going on out there uh, today, which of course, you know, time will tell you know, how the law is interpreted. But for an average uh, marketer, um, that's the the ethical and the legal side is something that cannot be ignored. And um, so we'd, we'd love to know, you know, your take on how you would recommend marketers to think about that. And if there's any, uh, you know, um, resources which they could consume on their own time to um, just for them to sort of sharpen their, their thought process and, and see the various perspectives when it comes to that stuff. Absolutely. So with regards to ethics, commonly the two, the two things you run into the most are bias. And what does that mean? So I'm going to speak to that and essentially meaningful work. Uh, what is this going to do to jobs and the human experience? Basically, Th those are two. Com I'm not going to say those are the only ways to group them together, but those are very common ones. So, so let's start with, well, let's start with bias. I think this is the, the, the easiest way that I've been able to articulate this is if I if if I were to ask you right now, you being the audience, complete this sentence, I love, how many variations of that would that be? I mean, it could be I love my mom, I love my pizza, I love my dog. There's a thousand things that you could say after I love. But if I was to say to you, plutonium is, only one thing plutonium is. The reason why this matters is because LLMs, like ChatGPT, all LLMs, are trained on language. And they are trained on, particularly ChatGPT, on what was available on the internet at the time that was trained. And if you think about what cultures are represented in English on the internet and what aren't globally, think about what that word love means in one culture versus another culture, right? And you don't have to be trying to be biased. Even even we could just look at like classical languages that aren't like some obscure language. You 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 think about how many times you've seen the viral post of like words that exist in this language that don't exist in English. Different cultures, different words that mean different things. And even within our own culture in the U.S., just speaking because I'm American, how many different cultures exist, and what's the differences between the vernaculars and the and the different types of languages you hear? What do those words mean in those contexts? So so this is just about words. There's also imagery and things like that. But the, the point of it is, is that a word carries a meaning that's contextualized based on the culture and the circumstance in which it was used. And, and that's, that is why if you go to ChatGPT and you say, I love, it's going to say something that may or may not make sense to you. So the reason why this matters, the reason why I call this out is because that's, that's what bias is in the bot. And so, you know, putting it into imagery, there's this famous case of a, a Russian company that did a beauty contest uh, using uh, uh, images that were trained. Um, they were trained on, it was basically trained on beautiful women from the internet. 
and the the bot was going to rank them. And uh, the only women who qualified as beautiful were white women. Right? Nobody did that on purpose, you know, but what material trained it? You know, there's another example of Airbnb from like 2015 that their model was disqualifying people at a rate of 16% more if they had an African-American sounding name, right? They didn't do that on purpose, but they did it. So, so you have to really understand, like, how does this bias even get into the models, right? And it's how they're even fundamentally working. So that's where you, you can't know that. Right. And that's why you have to be, you have to be diverse in your thought. You have to approach things collaboratively and you have to be aware of how this stuff actually works. And one way to do that is to look at look at the case studies that are out there. There's great books on this. The technology fallacy has great case studies. There's an HBR review that has great case studies, uh, like 10 case studies from Gen AI. You know, so there's great case studies on this. Getting into the other half of the equation, uh, aside from that, is the meaningful work and kind of the copyright stuff as well and, and, and some of that. And a book I would point you at is called Hello World, but we don't have to go down that path, but it's a great book about the algorithms that exist in the world today and how they influence life and some of these things that, that have come across, particularly from an ethics perspective. But what I would say is there, if, if you're a musician or an artist or, or a marketer and you went and cut and paste something from somewhere and you just cut and paste it, it doesn't matter if you got that from ChatGPT or anywhere, you stole that work, right? It's not your work, right? But but if you are deciding what does good look like, what is best practice, what does the format look like, what information am I looking at when I'm doing this, what was the interview content that I threw in? If you're making those decisions and you're just letting the bot knit it together for you, the bot didn't write that. You wrote it. You just use a better typewriter to do it. So I mean, that's my opinion on it. And so the a lot of those concerns come down to if you're just ripping it off, right? Or if you're just writing a whole story based on like whatever it predicted on. So it's a complex issue, but it's not, I, I would argue that if you spec it your way with your process and your information, you're just using a different tool. But if you don't, you just rip it off, you're ripping it off. So what does that mean in the context of like better work? I, I take it back to, again, the faster, cheaper, uh, better. If your whole goal is just lean people out, that's a kind of a short-sighted goal. Now, I recognize where we are in the economy today, particularly at tech companies, and there's very real need to reduce burn and things like that to, to like extend the runway for the company. But what I would put to you is leaning out people to save time and energy will save you some money in the short term. But once everybody's done leaning everybody out, there's no more competitive advantage in leaning people out. And the competitive advantage will be the human aspect of how well do I understand the audience? How much empathy do I have? How much capacity do I have to like leverage that empathy in a creative way? And if you just got done firing all the people who know your audience and know your company, good luck getting them back. And you've lost a lot of competitive institutional knowledge that's going to matter in the world of generative AI that may not matter as much today. So I know that's a really long-winded answer, but that's kind of how I think about it. No, I think I think that's a very um, you know interesting perspective for sure. Now. The for for marketers, uh, there's believe it or not, there are still on account of um, all the things you mentioned, right? You know, the bias, the copyright, and 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 things like that. Those sort of considerations, the ethical side of it. I'm still seeing you know voices within the marketing community where they're skeptical of you know AI and AI adoption, and the result of that, they're kind of waiting on the sideline. And 
Uh, how do you react to that? And, and what are your thoughts and, and advice for that, uh, those sort of folks? I think it's important to take a step back. If you're, the, if you're the person who's waiting and you're waiting for whatever reason you're waiting, take a step back and really ask yourself, what is the human value add? Like, what is the human value add in what you're doing? And if you can't, if you aren't yet able to see how to split out from your work chunks of things that could be given to an AI versus chunks of things you should keep for yourself to retain that creative agency, to retain that value add that you have, then my challenge to you would be you have you you probably haven't thought about it hard enough yet, or you haven't thought about it in all of the different angles. And you should push yourself to really pressure test what elements of the creative process are are truly you and your approach and what elements could you have a bot do for you whether that's uh extracting from interviews with your clients whether that's uh uh qu querying your own information and asking yourself your own questions about uh, like real time using the bot to ask you the questions right it doesn't have to be uh it doesn't have to be the bot created the thing it can be the bot helped you get part of your process done faster because you had a tool working alongside you to speed it up, right? So, so I would say a lot of times people are uh, hesitant because they feel like they're losing the human or they're losing the real creative. And yes, that's possible, but that's not the only way to use it. And, and making yourself faster and more efficient is worth the effort. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I heard in in one of my podcasts. Yes, uh, the um, he said a very intriguing quote where he was like, you know, utilizing AI within his organization is making them more human uh, in a lot of ways because it's sort of taking out the, you know, the just purely on the efficiency point is taking out the grunt work and you know all the extra hours they were doing and all those things and now allowing them to interact with each other within the team, interact with their customers or their prospects. So uh, a very um, you know important perspective there. I, I want to double dip on that really fast. I totally agree. If you look at competitive advantage of the last ten years in marketing, particularly enterprise marketing, competitive advantage was how fast can I scale my outbound to get more touches for my time? How fast can I drop ten thousand emails out, or can I get my BDRs to make two hundred calls, or can, how fast could I automate the touches? And it became normal that half a percent of your message would hit or that 1% of the list would click. Like that, like a click-through rate in the ones was acceptable in advertising, right? That was not even that bad in advertising. A hit rate <laughs> of, of two, 200 phone calls going out in a day and you get one meeting wasn't necessarily bad depending on the audience you're in. And so the reality is as marketers, we've already been grinding out the human for 10 years. And the difference is now there's a new way to grind out the part of the work that that's remedial and and actually focused on that empathy and that human side. That was the piece that was so hard to scale before. And now there's new methods to do that. So yes, 100%, like the competitive advantage of old was how fast can I grind? And the competitive advantage of new is going to be how well can I kind of find the nuance, find the thing that's driving, like building that empathy and then make that part of how I communicate. Very cool. So, you know, we, we spoke about you know, you in in your teaching, um, in in your teaching gigs, where you're teaching un undergrad students, you know, would would love to get your perspective on how, you know, during the course of you 
educating them about AI and, and you know, what they resonate, well, what are the topics they resonate with and how they learn. If you have any lessons uh, really meant for marketing leadership, so the CMOs or the VPs and those sort of folks, uh, what advice do you have for them based on your experience with, you know, with your students that would be sort of relevant and could resonate, you know, with them in terms of empowering their teams with AI-based uh, education? Yeah, I have, a, I have a couple of thoughts on this that that aren't directly related. the The first is more of the business, the like, the business impact side of this, which isn't always immediately obvious. <clears throat> the best talent is actively trying to get comfortable with Gen AI, either because they see the benefit or because they know their peers are, and it's in the studies, and they're like, I got to figure out how to do this. So the best talent are going to go where the plan, the team, the company, the CEO has a plan where they say, hey, how? what are you doing about AI? And if, if, and if there's no plan, the best talent is going to be like, uh, I don't know about this, right? And also the best talent you have on staff today, if they feel like they're working at a company that's not moving fast enough or not allowing them to upskill or get access to, that is a big risk from a retention perspective. So just from a like retention and acquisition of talent perspective, you need to have, you need to at least know what your statement is. Like, you know, you, you need to be proactive and like, what are we doing and why? Not just from a gen AI perspective, but like AI in your business and your vertical and your market in general, because you can look across basically all markets and see where AI first companies are crushing it. I mean, just crushing it. So that's one piece of it. But but the other side of it in terms of like enablement and empowerment and kind of training, like uh, uh, upskilling that and kind of getting your arms around that. I think uh, one, one point of view on this is, and this is one reason why I really think academia is such an important component here. It's becoming way more important that you know how to apply the knowledge than that you can acquire the knowledge. Once upon a time, you could have somebody whose entire job was just acquiring the knowledge and entering it into a system, right? Like that was possible. And, and you could get paid to do that, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. But now finding and acquiring the knowledge and getting it into a system is like that. And so what's way more valuable is what am I going to do with this now that I know this? What is the problem I'm trying to solve? I call this problem framing. It's not unique to me. I think of this problem framing. What's the problem framing? And so what makes somebody competitive in the world of AI is how good are they at problem framing? How good are they at identifying the problem and then looking for solutions to the problem? And that matters not only for your team and how you're staffing, but also in terms of education, because kind of the point of education is to understand how do I apply this knowledge, right? Like that's a huge part of it. So people who have taken the time to educate themselves on the fundamentals and are taking the time to understand like the approaches to problem solving and the applied side of that and kind of have broader appreciation of like just a broader understanding of the world, which is kind of what liberal arts is all about. Those people are going to have a massive advantage in like, how do you even approach a problem in the first place? So I think that that's kind of where I think there's a lot of value in academic institutions uh, uh, continuing to carry that flag, but then also for teams. And as you're thinking about building your team, it's like, what tools do I need to give them to really hone the problem solving process and really hone the problem framing process? Very cool. And, and um, great, great words for any marketing leader that is tuning in to this podcast. Well, Daniel, thank you very much for your, for your thoughts, for joining us. 
before we wrap wrap up, any any parting thoughts from your side uh, for foreign marketers who are who are getting into AI? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great question. I would say that uh, you know the digital transformation that is generative AI and AI it feels really new because of the boon of of, uh, of GPT and stuff like that. But AI has been here since like the '40s, and if you look across every major industry, AI first companies have just been crushing it. And there's countless examples of this. And my point is that there's a lot of new to think about, but there's also a lot of old to learn from. So don't limit yourself to just the generative AI. There's really a new opportunity to really just think about machine learning and neural networks and some of the other more technical stuff behind the scenes, because right now everybody's just trying to do everything with generative AI, but that's, that's really just a window into the world of AI. And there's a lot of opportunity here. So if you really want to dive deep on this, uh, you know, start start looking a little broader and, and reading books like The Technology Fallacy or books like Hello World or other kinds of books that are more kind of a, a broader look at like the implications of it. And that will help you kind of shape your point of view on like, how does this integrate across so many different things? And that, and that will just do a lot for you in thinking about like, how do I apply this and how do I really up level in this, in this category? Very cool. Thank you so much, Daniel. And to our listeners, we really hope that this you know, conversation has sparked your curiosity about AI and marketing and is going to motivate you to embark on your own journey uh, of discovery and and learning about it and and the application of this knowledge to to better yourself, to better your business. Um, I love hearing about people's experiences and stories. So feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn, uh, hit up Daniel on LinkedIn uh, and to engage with us. Until next time, keep exploring and thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you.